G'day everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Australian Property Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Christie-David, and I run a mortgage broking business called Atelier Wealth, where we help property investors start out and scale up their property portfolios. And on that journey, we're really talking about trying to build confidence to make good quality property decisions. As part of that journey, I think one of the one of the, I guess, the secret weapons for a lot of investors has been the use, using a mortgage broker. And it's no secret at the moment that probably most loans are written around 65, 70% of all loans are written through a mortgage broker. So we want to kind of pull the hood back a little bit on the mortgage broking industry, which is probably a slightly different tack that we have on our podcast. Zoom out a bit and talk about what the mortgage broking industry is focused on, where it's headed to, and I guess some of the, um, some of the people behind the scenes that make the mortgage broking industry tick. And one of those people uh, at the forefront of mortgage broking uh, and driving at what we call an aggregator level is Mark Harron from Connective Broker Services. Go, Mark, how are you doing? G'day, Aaron. Thank you. Mate, uh, a really long-time friend, mm-hmm. uh, someone that's highly respected in our industry as well. So I want to say thank you very much for jumping on and, and being here. Um, Connective, I'll, I'll start with Connective and then I'll come to you in a second. Mm-hmm. As a borrower, Connective broker services probably wouldn't mean too much because it's a business-to-business type brand, so a relationship between a mortgage broker and then yourselves as an aggregator. So for the uninitiated, can in a nutshell, what's an aggregator and, and, and tell us a bit more about Connective as well. Yeah, so we're an aggregator of mortgages is, I guess, the industry terminology, and that's done through providing services to mortgage brokers. Um, and we also manage the, the lender relationships. So we have the agreements with all the banks. Yeah. And as... Hopefully most of your listeners know uh, mortgage brokers provide their services generally free to the borrowers. There can be some fees from time to time because the bo- because the lenders pay mortgage brokers a commission. So we manage uh, a lot of the commission management as well. Yeah. Um, compliance support, software services, um, all of those things yeah. are very much in the remit of what we do as an aggregator. Yeah, great. And I guess underpinning that you talk about software support and as a broker, it's like, okay, who do I turn to? for training, development, onboarding for, for team members, for example, trying to get accreditations with banks. So you're very much, yes, an, a, a, an intermediary for an intermediary yeah. as well. And that's probably why a lot of clients, is sometimes they'll pick up what we call our credit guide or privacy hmm. document and say, okay, who's connective and, and, and how does this affiliation work? And that's very much. So I guess if you've heard of Aussie or Mortgage Choice, they're what we call franchised aggregators. And that's hmm. probably why they're more widely known or, or popular in mainstream culture. But I guess for yourself, mate, the Mark Harron story, you've been in the broking industry for quite some time. I'm not going to give away years, mate, but let's just yeah. say you've seen it grow from its infancy to where it is now in terms of maturity as well, which I think is fantastic. Professionalism has certainly gone up a notch as well. Yeah. Um, the rise of brokerages as opposed to single operators has certainly evolved as well. So a bit about your own personal journey and a bit about your industry journey as well. Yeah, well, I actually became a mortgage broker initially <laughs> and uh, enjoyed it and then just got roles in management, Yeah, helped another aggregator get established, um, ran that for many years and then um, joined Connective um, with the business partners over there. And we grew that from its infancy, from a couple of hundred brokers to yeah. now we have over 4,700 brokers that use Connective services. Um, and so that's been a tremendous journey. And as you mentioned, there's been a lot of uh, things we've had to deal with from a compliance perspective, uh, Royal Commissions, 
and the introduction of uh, more compliance activity on top of that. Yeah. So I've seen the introduction of licensing yep. uh, for f- financial service providers. And then I've seen the, obviously, the more recent introduction of best interest duty uh, specifically for mortgage brokers. Yeah. So let's talk through that because I think it's probably something that I won't say flies below the radar, but as a borrower, they don't realize that this is being done because most, I'd say most mortgage brokers, majority of mortgage brokers, play with a straight bat. Mm. Um, so in terms of best interest duty, it pretty much was a framework that cemented our obligations that yep. was pretty much what we were doing beforehand it's just i guess formalize yep. that so correct um so someone that's unsure about what we call it bid best interest duty what does that mm. entail mate um well it is acting in the customer's best interest so it's putting your interest as a broker and the business owner aside and putting the customer's interests ahead of those interests that's that's the fundamental uh background of it all yeah. what it does mean though and how the industry is adopted and again with guidance from uh, uh the treasury and then through to asic is we go through a process of a, of a fact find and a needs analysis breaking down understanding what the client's requirements are yeah and then matching products as a solution to meet those requirements uh, so that that sort of also helps with this whole, you know, oh, it's all about the best interest rate. It's not always about the best interest rate. Sometimes there's other products that will help you pay your loan off faster yeah. than the cheapest interest rate product. Yeah, well said. And I think that's probably something that, that resonates for us and our team, mm. which is someone thinks they're coming for the lowest rate. I'll give you an example. Um, someone came to me, this was a couple of years ago, what's the lowest interest rate? I said, Bank of China. Mm-hmm. Like, Anyone else might. Like, so it's really not about the lowest interest rate. Sometimes it's about a lender that you know of or you're mm. comfortable to go with or yep. maybe has the best online banking, for example. You get a That's pretty prevalent these days. Cash back at the moment, for example, yeah. or faster turnaround times or mm. it's a specific type of bank policy. If you may be self-employed or you're a property investor, for example, or you're newly employed or you're contract. Like there's all these I guess there's all these background factors that come into play as a broker when we're doing lender selection or recommendations mm. that aren't visible. To, uh, to a client as well. Particularly at the moment with serviceability tightening up. Yep. Now, with interest rates going up, that impacts customers' ability, repayment capacity, because you're assessed at the current rate plus a buffer. Yeah. Um, and so that's having that impact there. Self-employed is another big one. Self-employed applicants, there's different lenders that will treat self-employed applicants yep. much more favourably. And of course, you know all yeah. about that, Aaron. That's what customers <laughs> need to come to you. I appreciate that. You're a fantastic uh, business. I appreciate that, but um, I think one thing that we've done as a as a community inside Connective is gone. How do we learn from other great businesses yeah. and brokerages? Because I think we're always a student in the fact that we can always learn what other good businesses are doing and mm. a willingness to share amongst peers as well. I think that's something that I really enjoy about this industry, yep. and we uphold as well. Yeah. No. And look, you've been at uh, the forefront of that doing oh, some nice. uh, events for us and, you know, passing on some great advice to some of our brokers and they've obviously been on the end receiving some of that great advice from, from brokers from time to time. Absolutely. And peer-to-peer learning is a really big thing in our industry. It's something from a connective point of view that we think is very valuable. Correct. I think we all want to see uh, – we want to see the industry succeed, so mm. I don't really care if it's another broker in the same city. It's like, hey, mate, there's plenty of like, – plenty of opportunity out there. Yep. Hey, there's more than, I guess it's an abundance mindset as well. But I guess having a look through and, and seeing how brokers have evolved and looking at the current market as well, when you're talking and people may ask you, okay, so what are you doing? The barbecue question. But then you go, how do I choose a broker? What's what's kind of your your non-negotiables or your list of things to look at when, when someone's looking for a mortgage broker? Yeah, so the first thing, there's a couple of little basic things to tick off. First thing, they have to be licensed. So they should either be a credit representative 
or have their own ACL, Australian Credit Licence. So look for that. Yeah. You can check that on the ASIC website as well. Yeah. The other thing too, they must have an AFCA membership. That's a complaints membership uh, process and that should be documented and you should be able to find that and see that as well. Uh, otherwise, you may not be dealing with a, a real fair income broker. They might call themselves a broker, but if they don't have those things, they're not there. Yeah. Industry body membership is great, the MFAA or the FBAA. That means that they're being held to a, a higher and a professional standard as well. So those attributes are great. The next one is probably to try and understand that broker. And a lot of it you can only do sometimes personally when in conversation with yeah. them. But um, are they suited to the type of lending you, you are doing? If you're first home buyer, there's some brokers that are really experts at that. If you're an investor, there's some brokers that are experts at that. If you've got someone like Atelier Wealth, they're experts at everything, so which is always very good. But you know, make sure you look for like for like. Most brokers' business comes from personal recommendations. Yeah. It comes from existing customers referring, and uh, that's a big part of what uh, broker, how brokers attract. And I think it's also fantastic in terms of we've gone in this industry from when I started was not even twenty percent of home loans were done by brokers, but now up into the seventy percent range, uh, and I think that's. Very, it's attributable to the fact that brokers provide a great service and customers keep coming back and they keep on sending their friends to brokers. Yeah, yeah I think it's something you, you spot on there is around the personal touch. Like I think people will want to have that one-to-one -one relationship, for example, with their broker. It's almost a pride that's like my broker, for example. Mm. It's also a responsibility that you have as a broker to go, you've got to maintain those relationships because if you don't, then they'll effectively vote with their own feet as well, which keeps us highly highly accountable as well um, one thing that i think that we skirt around the edges and i just wanted to kind of cut through it is uh, broker commissions and mm. uh, I, I like to think that we're pretty transparent with it in our business i don't think there's anything to hide we are paid by a lender for placing that loan with that particular bank as, as constitutes of a upfront payment and an ongoing what we call a tra trail payment as mm. well and i guess some questions some occasionally a client will go hey take me through like your commission structure i'm generally saying look pretty much there's parity between lenders and what they'll pay. Now, some lenders might pay a little bit more because they're tougher, they're mm. tougher applications. Maybe it's a niche self-employed deal, takes a lot more legwork or it's a lot more specialised. Mm. And some banks pay just a little bit less than that because maybe they're a smaller lender yep. as well. So, I mean, you probably know every rate of commission by banks just because you've been around for a little while, right? But how do we how do we convey a sense of confidence to a client to go, there's no way that we could possibly be incentivized by commission mm. over policy or over yeah. a, a loan strategy. Yeah, correct. And again, that's best interest duty. Yeah. So uh, if the broker is putting a client into a lender and a product because it has the highest commission, they're not acting in the customer's best interest. Now, it could be just circumstantial that that is the case. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I suggest to brokers that they should explain that a bit better. There is a disclosure requirement. Um, leverage the top seven lenders yeah. and all that's sort of built into some of the best interest duty compliance documentation. So there's a way to send to check that from a customer's perspective. Um, the other aspect too, you've got to, you can show that you use a broad base of lenders. Yeah. It's not all just going to the same lenders. But um, so that's sort of the main areas is just understand that there is a disclosure requirement. And if you do as a customer see that, wow, this is right on the upper spectrum, just if you want to, just sense check that and say, why are we going to this lender? Mm -hmm. um, is it, am I going to get charged a higher rate? Um, more times than not, it's not the case. As you pointed out, Aaron, it's because it's a more complex loan and yeah. some of those lenders pay more. So the commission is the lender saying, well, hey, 
After you've done it, given the advice to the customer, been through that, next we're working for the lender. We're doing all of this work that the lender would normally have to employ staff to do. So that's where they say, that's why they justify, well, happy to pay the commissions because um, it's 90% of the job is done. Yep. And then the ongoing trail? The ongoing trail, well, a bit of a story here, but <laughs> um, the trail, initially brokers only got paid upfront only. Yep. Um, and then... Many, many years ago, a few of the lenders turned around and said, well, look, the cost impossible, the larger upfront is a bit big. We're going to cut that in half and we're going to pay the other half over the period of the loan. It's going to be paid based on the balance of the loan and it's going to be calculated this way. Uh, of course, that puts that at risk. If the broker, if it goes into arrears or the loans get pre-financed, then that commission is lost to the broker. So yeah. again, it really puts an emphasis on a broker for to a put the customer in the right product so that yeah. and, and make sure they can afford it, uh, and then continue to keep in contact with that customer to ensure that or be available to that customer to ensure that if the customer wants any further services, um, it's there. Now, some might say, well, what is there an incentive for a broker? you know, just to keep a customer at that bank. Yeah. Not really, because the trial commission is significantly smaller than the upfront commission. Yep. Um, and so brokers are more than happy to, you know, refinance a client, take them to another lender if that product is better, more appropriate. Um, and then that's what a lot of brokers will do. I but I'm seeing at the moment, and it's been very good, the banks have reacted uh, well to this. There's a lot more repricing going yeah. on. Um, and the banks are trying harder also to retain those customers so they're offering better incentives and better rates to stay uh, at some of the existing banks. So that's why that conversation with the broker is so important because, um, you know, refinancing isn't necessarily the only solution. Yeah. Uh, And again, getting back to affordability with the interest rates having gone up, um, the bank might say probably you can't afford the loan you're in sometimes. (laughs) Correct. And I think that's, yeah, it's skin in the game for both the broker but also the lender as well because Mm. some banks, uh, some clients actually want to stay where they are. They've got internet banking, they've got the credit card set up, the app's already on their phone. It's like, hang on, the, the... the pain to switch doesn't justify sometimes the savings or the, the headaches of paperwork, which it's cool with. I've got no problems mm. with that as well. Um, but you just want to put your lender on notice to go, hey, don't take our don't take our business for granted or don't take our loan for granted yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, perfect. The one of the beauties, I guess, what we call at an aggregator level, is that you get to see across the board a lot of data Mm. Uh, data on data I'm sure as well Uh, so when you've kind of popped the hood on what's going on at the moment and probably the last couple of years have been bananas right in terms of purchase I've got a gut feel what's going on in my business speak to some of my colleagues I'm like yeah we've got a gut feel on you know a couple of things one is obviously refinancing is rife at the moment pre-approval pipelines I'd say bursting at the seams Mm -hmm. as well and then you look at you know some mortgage prisoners as well, and 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 also the data kind of points to where where some states are more purchase heavy and other states are more refinance heavy as well. So, mm. kind of a couple of questions in there. It's kind of what are you seeing from the data, and what's the story telling you at the moment? Yeah, well, as we said, we have a lot of data. Like um, of those mortgage, seventy percent mortgage broker loans, uh, connected brokers do twenty two percent of that seventy percent. So it's a significant number. It's about one in seven home loans that are done in Australia. Yeah, okay, um, and what we are definitely seeing is. Applications have come off year on year a little bit, but not as much as what we thought they may have with the impact of interest rate increases. To your point, there's a lot of pre-approvals in that as people are sort of gearing up, wanting to understand where they are, particularly investors, wanting to see where the property market goes and being ready to pounce when they see an opportunity. Um, 
Conversions, which is where application goes through to settlement, that has come off again. That's a lot of pre-approvals coming through. Um, but one of the big data points and part of that driving some of that is refinances. That has increased 25% um, year on year. Wow. So again, customers looking to reprice and get cheaper rates some, in some cases. Sometimes they're doing it for the cash back um, yeah. as well. So there's a lot of that activity coming through and when, and um, I believe that the market in terms of the home loan market, yeah, it will still be very strong because of that opportunity for brokers and the refinance and the repricing, but uh, it will not be at the peaks that it was last year and the year before yeah. um, from that perspective. But, you know, it won't be down. Yeah, it won't yeah. be down significantly. It'll just be down uh, a bit as we see probably the next one or two Reserve Bank rate rises come through. Uh, I did see the governor. Um, he's been jawboning around a few things, you know, trying to get people to stop spending money <laughs> is one. But he did make a comment that, it, you know, sooner rather than later, they're going to have to pause, make sure that they're sense checking all the data um, before they drive, uh, you know, too many people to the wall in terms of their mortgage repayments. Yeah, I mean, certainly cash flow. I've just done a recent uh, episode talking about fixed rates and mm -hmm. fixed rate. Obviously, we, we call it the fixed rate cliff. You know, yeah. It kind of gets bandied around as yeah. well. I mean, we, we were at a conference a while ago and lenders did kind of cite that as probably an area Well, there's of one lender, major yeah. lender, they got $80 billion worth of home loans <laughs> coming off to your fixed rate in the next three to 12 months. Yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, I've just done a chart pack on that, so uh, mm. I'll give you a heads up when that when that chart packs uh, public as well. Right. But um, yeah, so I mean, what do they do from a resource perspective? Because they can't physically contact that many clients to go. Well, how, how do we reprice you? Or how do we reservice you as mm -hmm. well? So what happens to like? A well, lot they of are very people? reliant on the brokers again providing that service. Yeah, uh, a lot of them have set up systems and tools now, uh, repricing calculators and tools. Yeah, which brokers are, are using. One or two have got them set up directly for a customer. I don't know with one particular bank. Um, you can go into it with the broker. He can put load up the information, and uh, and it's just reassessing a few little things, particularly your loan to value ratio. Yeah. Because the, the the lower the loan to value ratio, the cheaper the money is for the banks. They have to they get to hold less capital uh, to have to fund those loans. So they're, they're cheaper, more efficient. Um, but yeah, the, once you go through this repricing tool with this bank, uh, you accept the new rate and it's automatically changed within 24 hours. How good's that? So there's a lot of these, the banks were really encouraging the banks and that's again another thing Aggregator does is we have a lot of these conversations with the banks and saying, what are you doing about this? Look at the pain points here for the customers, the brokers, how do we alleviate that? And um, getting very systemised and yeah. respect. Yeah, spot on. You mentioned about pre-approvals and also the investors that are ready to kind of pounce in mm. one pre area. I can only speak at a granular level in our business and maybe some colleagues as well. But the prevalence or the increased appetite for commercial as mm. well, you've probably seen that in probably Absolutely. aggregated data as well, which is the number of applications going through to buy commercial properties, I guess. Maybe people have got a couple of residential properties now looking to expand based on confidence or you know higher um, higher deposits required for some commercial properties, and also mm. some banks are putting out some pretty good product as well mm. on commercial products. Probably, what are you seeing? We call it diversified. I just think it's a natural it's a natural yeah, progression absolutely. as well for from uh, a growing business. But how's that how's that playing out from, from yeah, the data? Um, commercial businesses increased sort of well from twenty two to twenty one was about a hundred percent. Sorry, about eighty percent. 21 was about 100% uplift in wow. commercial activity that we saw. And it is a lot of that. It's uh, investors, self-employed people saying, look, I might as well buy my own premises yes. rather than renting. 
uh, when the business gets to that level, that's a great position to be in. Yeah. Because uh, apart from usually wages, rent is one of your next <laughs> biggest expenses. Yeah. Um, so controlling that, managing that um, is also uh, a really, really relevant thing. So yeah, we have seen a lot more interest in commercial. I think what we saw through the pandemic also was that a lot of the suburban areas really started to um, be a lot more attractive because it was had all the traffic going through there. You could still go out yeah. and get your bread and your coffee. Uh, you just weren't going into the city, uh, into the office as much. And so I think it's seen a bit of a resurgence yeah. into some of it's those markets. Like the, no, the neighbourhood has kind of come mm. back on the map, which is local services. You don't have to go into the city yet. Yeah. You and I probably aren't getting our hair done as much anymore. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, maybe for like uh, the local cafe, you know, you mm. You weren't commuting into the fire city five days, so you're spending it locally at a cafe, for example, yep. or your yeah, dry cleaning's done locally as well as small, small examples. Yep. Yeah, and then those smaller businesses are now thriving, putting down roots. Want to, like you're saying, that's very much a similar story, which is in my area, I don't want to move. I want to own the premises as well because mm-hmm. I'm paying rent. And yep. like any, any person renting at some point, you go, well, I grow or go and – I want to stay here and grow and expand yeah. my business, but I can't do that when I don't have that security. We say with a lot of corporate businesses and you know ourselves, you know, we've got 200 staff around the country, but predominantly Melbourne and Sydney. And yeah. we um, do have them coming into the office at least on doing face-to-face business at least three days a week. Okay, yeah. But they're still spending a considerable amount of time still at home, still yeah. in the local suburbs. So yeah, it's quite encouraging. So it's not that's not going to go away. The way we work <clears throat> has you know I think changed oh. for the significant. Uh, so the significant future. Yeah, definitely that evolution's there as well. So I guess the other one is um, a runoff rate or a churn rate as well. So this, uh, again, it uh, sounds like a very banky word, but it just means when loans kind of come off and they either refinance or uh, they get closed off. So that runoff churn rate, what does that look like at the moment? It's still quite low. Um, and just on churn, the way you're I create the definition of churn. That's yep. when you refinance or a client refinances or broker refinances a client where there has been no benefit to the customer. Yeah. So refinancing activity has definitely increased. Yeah. That, uh, but when you look at some of those portfolios, it's staying within the business. Sometimes it's might be changing banks, but from our perspective, it's still there. Yeah. Uh, from a broker's perspective, in the majority of cases when they're doing the refinance, it's still there. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more customers coming to the brokers now, though, to first time and saying, can you look at this and can you refinance me or get me a better rate, which is great. Yeah. Um, the one thing we try and keep a very strong eye on is, a, is the arrears rate. Yes. Um, and interestingly, at this point in time, it is still very, very low. Um, and it's been very low for a long time because we had low interest rates. But even with the current increases, it's still quite low. Now, we probably won't see any real effects into that arrears because they're not normally reported until they're about 60 to 90 days okay. uh, in arrears. So we might see that data shift a little bit more, and that's probably what the RBA will be looking at too, is not just inflation, but what's happening with those arrears. Um, one comment I was going to make before too um, was one of the big things we're seeing is in our data is that average loan sizes has reduced. Okay. Now, some of this might be repayment capacity, yeah. but I think even when people are refinancing, they're refinancing just their outstanding debt, and quite often a lot of people have had uh, a lot, big buffers in there. They've been able to make extra repayments. They've had a lot of money sitting at offset. But they're saying, well, if I have a smaller debt that I'm refinancing to, it means it's going to keep my repayments down significantly as well. And that's one of the strategies that brokers will talk to you about employing if keeping your repayments down is significant. Also, 
changing the term of the loan. If it's got 15 years to run, but you put it out over 20 years, that's also going to help keep the repayments down as well. Oh, well said. Well said. Hey, mate, thanks very much. I don't say you're a busy person. I say you've, um, you're juggling a, a lot on your plate, mate. So I certainly appreciate your time and energy to be here uh, and very grateful for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom with us, mate. Uh, for our listeners out there, like I mentioned, I know this is not your typical buyer's agent interview, but I think it's very, very important that you get an idea about from a mortgage broker's perspective, if you're looking at using a broker, that you understand what the intricacies of the industry are about and also how to choose the right mortgage broker that aligns with you and your strategy as well. So, Mark, thank you very much, mate. Really, really appreciate your time and uh, yeah, look forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks, Aaron. Happy to support yourself and Bernie and the Atelier Wealth team. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. No trouble. Wonderful. That's a wrap for another episode of the Australian Property Investment Podcast. If you've got any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. Uh, Even better if you leave us a review uh, and that way we can um, grow, expand and bring on more great guests onto our show as well. Thanks very much.